It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. What are the love stories of the Bible? How can we apply these displays of love to our lives? And what do these stories say about relationships? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. know we are in the season of lent a 40-day period of sacrifice in honor of god's ultimate sacrifice and unconditional love for us and what better way to usher in the final week of lent other than to explore stories of unconditional love divine connections and the healing power of relationships from the bible so what do these stories say about god's love for us what lessons can we learn And how can these stories help us navigate our own relationships? Well, here to talk me through all of this is the lovely anchor of Fox News Sunday, host of Live in the Bream podcast, and the author of Love Stories of the Bible Speak, Shannon Bream. The one, the only, Shannon Bream. Hi, Shannon. Hey, how are you, Abby? Great to be with you again. I am better now that you're on. I I just get so happy. You have such a light and loveliness every time we talk. And Matt and I were talking about you before and said, well, you know what? Everyone just loves Shannon Bream. Oh, I don't know. As they should. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. I try to spread good good light and good cheer into the world. Yes, and you're doing that with your new book. Congratulations, by the way. Um, thank you so much. You know, you know the, the stories of the Bible so well. And in this book, you're highlighting the love stories. So what lessons can we learn from the love stories of the Bible? You know what? It, it is interesting that so much of what happens in the Bible is the opposite of what the world tells us, which is like, do whatever you want, make yourself happy. And like, love in the Bible is a beautiful, passionate thing. I mean, we do have some pretty racy passages that are included, but it's also about sacrificial love, like getting over yourself, being less selfish and really looking out for the good of other people. I include love stories and the idea of romance, and but I also include friendships where people are very sacrificially Um, pouring into each other and making choices that are good for the other person. And so I think real love is about that, but it doesn't line up with what we're told about, like, just do whatever you want. Right. Because we're all going to be at that default setting anyway. You know, it's about trying to overcome that. Totally. And I do feel like we we are told so often nowadays, you know, self-love, self-love. You should you should absolutely have self-love, but that doesn't always come in the form of you ignoring your love for others. And sometimes that line gets blurred. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to love myself and put myself first. But people don't realize that the true love comes from putting others first. So do we yeah, see I that mean, through these stories? Yeah, I think you do. I mean, you think about Mary and Joseph. So I wanted to look at them because I... Listen, we rightfully have a lot of focus on Mary as this blessed woman with a divine appointment who brings the Savior into the world. But think about Joseph, too. I was like, let's do his story and look at things from his viewpoint because he had to be a part of this, too. You know, Mm -hmm. he could have in that day and time walked away from Mary, kind of left her to public ridicule when it turned out she was pregnant. But he didn't do that. I mean, he stayed by her side. He was like, I kind of joke around like world's greatest stepdad of all time because he's raising this young man who is the savior of the world who's not biologically his son. And they did have other children in their family. But we see early on many times where Joseph and Mary are at risk. He protects them with his life. He guides them to safety. He provides for them. 
And, you know, he he knows he's always going to be playing sort of a, a, you know, backseat role in this whole thing. And he's humble enough and sacrificial enough to say, yes, I will take on this assignment, too. And what a beautiful thing that this man um, steps in as a father and as a husband on a very difficult assignment. Absolutely. Yeah. Joseph does not get enough credit, Shannon. That's what I'm that's, saying. <laughs> that's, so let's bring him up here. Let's bring him up. That's that's a great it's a great thing to talk about. And uh, I am curious. So you brought up that uh, some are friendships. And I, I love that you say that because we when you hear love story, your mind immediately goes to romantic relationships. But friendships, that love exists, too. So what stories do you highlight in the Bible where we see that play out in a friend and friend relationship? Yeah. Well, like, you know, there's this whole bridal industry, you know, I mean, back in the day when magazines were still a thing. I love magazines, but I'm old. Um, But you go in the store and you see like bride magazine. There's no like friendship magazine, you know, like there's no big ceremony and dresses and spending money and going on bachelorette trips for your friends. I mean, you know, friendship is a part of that. But I think sometimes friendship gets kind of, you know, um, the shrift. I mean, it doesn't you don't have people fully engaged in it and looking at it and saying like, gosh, this is kind of the fabric of our lives to have, you know, this network of people that we care about them, they care about us. You know, I, I think about things like Job. Everybody, even if you're not a person of faith, you probably understand the, the idea or the story of Job and suffering and how catastrophic it was when he lost all of his children, all of his wealth. Uh, then his health goes. He's in the worst possible place, but he has these three friends who get together and say, let's go to him. And they're on their way to see him. And on the way, they spot him and they see just how horrible things are for him. He's disfigured. He's crushed in spirit. They begin to weep and to sob and to mourn with him before they ever get there. And then what happens when they get to him? They sit in silence for seven days. And it reminds me of, you know, sometimes we're afraid to go to somebody who's in grief, who's in suffering because we're like, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I don't know what to say. I'm going to get this wrong. It's going to be awkward. But his friends just show up. And what a gift they give. Just our presence sometimes for people when they're walking through a difficult place just showing up as a friend and diving into their anguish with them, not, hey, I've got all the answers and you need to snap out of it. No, just sitting there, just our presence, just showing up is one of the most beautiful gifts of friendship that we can give. That's excellent advice because it's something that can be applied to our everyday lives too because you're right. Sometimes you don't know what to say, but just showing someone that you're there for them, that's that's such a, a blessing and such a gift as well. Um yeah. We talk about the relationships between two people in the Bible, but what do those love stories that you highlight teach us about God? Listen, though, I feel like the whole Bible, as a person of faith, I believe the whole Bible is kind of his love story to us because it's mm. all about him trying to connect with us and to remind us, like, listen, my love for you is unconditional. You don't have to earn it. You can't get away from it. You can't do something so bad and terrible that I'm going to stop loving you. It's beautiful. It's like parental love, but on steroids. Like, there's nothing that is less than perfect in this love. So listen, we can't get there. We can, you know, aspire to be this way. But, you know, what does the New Testament say when, you know, Jesus was pressed about how do you sum up the law? What's the most important stuff? Yes, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, but also equal to that, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're not just supposed to take on this beautiful, unconditional love from God, which is the greatest gift. And it's hard for our brains to wrap around how he could love us despite our mistakes and our craziness. But then he says, okay, don't just keep it to yourself. You're supposed to go love your neighbors. And that can mean your mortal enemies. I mean, he gives examples in the Bible of where people who would be absolutely divided um, along race or national or ethnic lines showing up for each other and actually being there and stepping into the gap, this idea of the Good Samaritan. So, 
to me, looking at these romantic relationships and the friendship relationships reminds me about what God expects from us, that he covers us in completely unconditional love. And he telegraphs that through these stories, but that he wants us to then go and share it with other people too, no matter how hard that might be in some circumstances. You know, I, I've I've noticed this with you, and I can tell that you delve into the Bible so much, and you actually live the words of the Bible. Because when we just chat offline, or when we what, before the podcast starts, or when I see you on TV, you're the same person to everyone, and you have such a wide range of people come on your show. But you treat everyone with such respect, and even if you disagree with them, you treat them with probably just as not even more respect than than if you did agree with them. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I, I hope that's what people will feel and what they will get is like, okay, I firmly believe that everybody's created in the image of God. He calls us not to have favorites or pick and choose like, okay, the person who cut you off in traffic. Well, I should say that might be me. Please forgive me. Um, <laughs> please love you know, me anyway. Like, yeah, please love me anyway. Um, you know, the person who most frustrates you, like your irritating coworker, the person who's like always stabbing you in the back, your frenemy, or, you know, like real conflict and hurt or abuse that you've suffered from someone. I mean, these are really difficult things. But I do believe that God gives us strength where we are weak to really love other people. And sometimes we're the hard to love person. Mm-hmm. And we got to acknowledge that too. Um, and, and I think that, you know, he calls us to treat everybody the same way. I mean, there is, you know, there are passages in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, where it's like, we're not to be a respecter of person. Like, don't show up and try to get the premium space at the banquet and sit next to the host and be the fanciest person there. Like Jesus says, the first will be last and the last will be first. Like we should all be operating from this place of humility and servanthood. And if you're approaching other people that way, I think you're always going to get better results than when you go at them with a buzzsaw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never go at anyone with a buzzsaw. It's that you've heard it here today. Yes, this is this is, this is the best advice that Shannon can give. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you could choose your favorite love story from the Bible, what would it be? You know, day by day, I would probably change on this, but um, I really love this beautiful story of Ruth and Boaz because I love that it's kind of a second chance story. She's a widow when we meet her, a young widow. Her mother-in-law is also widowed. So listen, customs of the time, she could have gone home to her family, found another young man to marry, started her own family, but she didn't do that. She decided to go with Naomi, who was her widowed mother-in-law, back to her homeland. And so, so many things there were sacrificial. I mean, that's a beautiful example of love. And, you know, the what she says in the Bible is often used at wedding ceremonies, but it was actually this daughter-in-law to the mother-in-law saying, like, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. You know, this beautiful thing. So they get back to where Naomi is from, and they're in dire poverty. They have no man, no protector, no provider. And so Ruth humbly decides that she's going to go out and glean in the fields after the, you know, the professional gleaners and harvesters have already done it. The rule was then, like, you allow the poor people to go, and whatever is left, they're allowed to go um, and, and take whatever they can find. And Boaz is this wealthy landowner who sees her. He hears her story of how she is honoring Naomi by going with her when she had a choice to go start a whole new life. And so these two find each other and fall for each other, and he says to her, like, this is a beautiful thing. I've seen the honorable way that you have served your mother-in-law when you had other choices. So these two fall in love. It's kind of this second chance love for this young widow born out of, you know, him seeing probably that he was 
attracted to her as a person, but also to her character, that it was a really um, noble thing that she was doing. He recognizes that in her. And they wind up in the lineage that leads to Jesus Christ. So it's an Old Testament story with a lot of beautiful threads to it and reminds us that um, there are often second chances in our life when it comes to love. He loved her for the way she loved others. That's so beautiful. I, I'm sure that you probably, you know all these stories so well. Why why did you include the ones you did? And were there any that you wish you would have added? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I think one of the hardest ones, which I thought, all right, if we're doing love stories of the Bible, we got to do Song of Solomon. If you're familiar with it at all, it's super racy for the Bible. We're talking about <laughs> beautiful body parts. And there's all this lust and attraction between the two of them, which I, I think in early relationships, that's really important glue that kind of brings people together. And it's not like God's like, what the heck are they doing down there? Like he invented us and designed us. So he knows that we're going to have those desires and they're not a bad thing. What we see from this couple is that they're really longing to be together in marriage and trying to do this the right way, but they're not shy at all about their feelings. So when I say to people like, oh yeah, the Bible has like romance and sex and marriage advice and all these things in there. I mean, that's one of the trickiest ones. And, um, I was glad to, to, um, you know, rely on some sermons and some other pastors that I talked to to like, okay, how do I tackle this thing responsibly <laughs> and, and accurately? So I'm really glad that's in there, even though I was not, we didn't talk about that in Sunday school. The kids were not allowed to discuss Song of Solomon or from there in their Bibles. <laughs> no, nor, nor um, do I think I was. Yeah. But I, you know, but I included Samson and Delilah too, because what a train wreck for these guys. Because, you know, with all of my books, I include the messy, messed up stories and flawed. Because listen, all short of Jesus, no one in the Bible is perfect. Jesus and God, the Heavenly Father, that's it. Everybody else is going to make mistakes and have flaws, but the fact that God uses those stories is super encouraging to me because I ask for forgiveness for stuff every day. Like anyone, I have regrets in my life and things I would do over, but God is able to use all of that. And so Samson and Delilah, super messy story. She, He's crazy for her, but she is all about taking this bribe that these powerful men came to her to totally betray him, and he winds up, um, you know, kidnapped, eyes gouged out, taken prisoner by the mortal enemies of the Hebrew people. Um, But at the very end of his story, despite his really bad relationships and choices, he goes to God one last time in humility and asks for his favor and his strength, and God gives it to him. And it's a really important end to the story. So I said, listen, that's our bad romance chapter. But I think it's worth including the good and the bad. What was the bribe? The bribe was this amount of money that we tried to calculate it into modern day. And it's like you had won the biggest lottery jackpot like multiple times over. There's like oh. no woman in in those days would have ever had access to that kind of wealth. It would have put her literally on par with like royalty. And and the, the people who had like massive kingdoms with jewels and gold and all these things because they wanted to get Samson. He was this guy who, you know, he was an Israelite who had enormous strength and power only because of God. And the Philistines were tired of getting their booties whooped by Samson. <laughs> so they go to Delilah and like, hey, Delilah, so could you hook us up here and come to hey her with there, this massive Delilah. amount of money? Exactly. Exactly. So you're Did telling they me the they did sing the song I heard. I heard through the grapevine <laughs> that in the Bible they sang the, hey there, Delilah, what's it like? And it worked. It did. It did. So you're <laughs> telling me that the the shows today that are all about for love or for money, the reality TV <laughs> shows, those stemmed from the Bible? They could. There are some really crazy things that happen in the Bible that you're like, yep, I can see that in modern society. You think about another story included is Queen Esther and King Xerxes, who he's a complete arrogant jerk face when we meet him at the beginning of the book of Esther. 
And so many different things happen. She later becomes his queen in what was like an empire-wide sort of beauty pageant bachelorette situation where all the beautiful women of the empire were brought in, including her. And I'm guessing these women didn't have a ton of choice in this. You know, like the king says, go get me the most beautiful women from all the provinces, and then we're going to have this contest, and I'm going to pick who I want to be my queen. So we don't know how she felt about him, but we know he was enamored of her. Of course, the story is she was, you know, hiding her Jewish identity, but was in the perfect place when the Jewish people had been marked for slaughter to go to the king and say, all right, this is who I really am. I'm going to be brave enough to tell you, like, the Jewish people, I'm one of them, and they're going to be wiped out. And he puts a stop to the whole thing. So she treats him with respect and bravery, despite whatever weird reality show she might have been caught up in to become his queen. (laughs) She steps up in that moment to do what was the right thing to save her people. Right. How did writing this book allow for you to delve deeper into these stories? Because I'm sure learning about them and reading it for the first time is one thing, but actually Mm -hmm. writing a book about it is a whole different experience, I could imagine. Yeah, and it was a real gift to me. Each of these books, I've, you know, I did grow up in church and hearing these stories, but you go back and study them as an adult and you're like, okay, I get a lot of this more. And you can dig to find out, you know, I've got experts and people that I'll turn to that's, you know, say, what does this mean in Greek or Hebrew? Or what were the circumstances of the time? What would this have meant for a woman in those days? And you just have a better understanding. I think as an adult, you can comprehend more the context of everything. So it's been a blessing to me because I feel like I really get to know these people and also are reminded of things. Like I was studying Adam and Eve. Of course, they're the very first love story of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So they're included in this new book. And, you know, when she gets all the blame for going and eating this forbidden fruit, Will you go back and read the story? Adam apparently is standing right there when he this happens because her. she she hands him the apple, and I'm like, okay, at what point did well apple or whatever fruit it was? At what point did he come upon this? Was he there when she's having this conversation with a serpent who's like, yeah, just go ahead and eat it, even though God told you not to? You know, the minute that God comes to them and confronts them with what they've done, Adam's like points the finger at Eve and is like hey, she gave me the thing. And by the way, you gave me her. Like, it's all God's fault, you know, that Adam <laughs> What a tattletale. So I'm like, sometimes it's funny to go back and read, you know, the original text, the original conversation, and maybe see it in a different way that you didn't before. That is such a good point. That's how I'm going to remember that story from the Bible now. <laughs> Adam was standing there. <laughs> he Come was on, the Adam. one. Come on, Adam. You, you should have you done something different there. Um, if you had to choose a favorite story from the Bible, mm-hmm. a love story, which mm-hmm. one? I'm really putting you on the spot. Oh, because, listen, there are so many ones. I really do love Ruth and Boaz. I think that's a beautiful thing. There's a very little-known story that we put in this book that I really had to dig around to to find enough research on it, but it's really interesting. So there's this um, woman, uh, Abigail. She's married to this guy, Nabal, who completely turns out to be a jerk face. I mean, he really, I, I've used that twice in this podcast, but these it's, are two of the worst guys in the Bible. I mean, jerk face is a good word. I mean, that's not the literal King James translation (laughs) version, but I mean, he's described as like a really awful person. And so he does something very wrong to David, who at that moment, you know, would eventually become king of Israel. A lot of people know the story of David, but David was on the run at this point and he had gone and offered protection to this man's flocks and his herds. And traditionally what you would do in the shearing season is if somebody had to help protect your flocks or whatever, you would um, have a banquet and share some of the goods with them and say, thank you for helping to protect my flocks. David and his men went humbly and said, hey, if there's anything that you could see fit to share with us, we protected your men, your flocks, whatever. And Nabal's like, who are you? (laughs) Like it just very talk to the hand kind of situation. 
And it's he's so disrespectful to David and his men that it enrages David. And he's got all these warriors with him on the run. So he's going to go and wipe out Nabal and his entire family. This guy was a hothead. He was disrespectful. But his wife, Abigail, appeared to be the exact opposite. The way the Bible describes her and uses the word for um, intelligence to describe her is like the only place in the Bible that a woman is described in this way. So the people from Nabal's household, the bad guy, they don't go to him because they know he's not going to help us. They go to the wife. They go to Abigail and say to Abigail, hey, listen, we're in danger. David and his men are coming after us because of this disrespect from Nabal. What can you do? So I have a feeling this is not her first rodeo, being married to this guy. And, and who knows how many things she's bailed him out of. So she instead puts together a beautiful feast and all these offerings and goes out and meets David before he can show up and kill everybody and says, um, very humbly, like, my king, let me come before you. My husband spoke rashly. This is how we should have treated you. Let's do this the right way and let's give you great honor. And she has such an eloquent um, speech to him that David is really knocked off his feet. Like, oh, wow, this woman comes in peace and she's so wise. Mm. She appeals to him with respect and does everything her husband doesn't do. And we're told that she doesn't even tell her husband she's going to do this. She's she's breaking all the norms of the day, but she's doing it to save their whole household. And so she goes back to him and he is actually feasting and doing all these things as if he's the royal. He doesn't, she doesn't tell him that night and the next day, you know, she tells him what happens. He actually is struck down. Like he, like Nabal is, God's done with him. So he's struck down, he freaks out, goes into a coma, dies. And then later on, David hears about this whole thing. He comes back to Abigail, remembering she was this woman of great virtue and uh, of bravery and of intelligence. And he says, hey, I know you're a widow now. Come be my wife. It's the craziest, one of the craziest love stories in the Bible. But it shows you like, listen, you can be in a very difficult marriage with a spouse who maybe you're kind of having to be a peacemaker all the time and do things right. But she did it with respect. You know, she went and, and served her household by making up for the deficiencies where her husband was out offending everybody and putting them in danger. Mm. So it's one of those stories that a lot of people don't know, but I thought, let's let's tuck it in there. She sounds like such a cooler Abigail than I am. So I love that you told <laughs> that story. Well, I included her just for you. Oh, thank you, Shannon. You're the best. Uh, last question, because I know we got to get you out of here, but what was your inspiration for writing this book? And what would you say to people who are about to read your book? You know, one of the biggest things we find um, that all the experts tell us is we have this deep need to connect, to be loved and to be seen and to beloved others. And I thought, okay, let's delve into that because there are beautiful things in the Bible and um, not just romance, but these friendships as well. And so I've already had a friend of ours, they're a couple, man and wife, who um, I got them an early copy and they're reading it to each other and reading through together. And I thought, oh, I love that idea that um, I think it's for anyone, male, female, friends, um, church acquaintances, neighbors, whatever. I think the bottom line is that God covers us in a love that is just such a beautiful gift. He wants us to relate to each other that way and share it. Um, with strangers and friends and spouses alike. So I think that there's something for all of us to learn about how to better love each other. That is such an amazing message to end on. Shannon, you are such a joy as always. Thank you for joining me. And everyone, go read the love stories of the Bible speak. Thank you so much, Shannon. Thanks, Abby. All right, if you miss anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about the love stories of the Bible. Number one, 
Even though this book is called The Love Stories of the Bible, it's not just about romantic relationships. Shannon also highlights the power of friendships and relationships in unlikely circumstances and how to put others first before yourself. Number two, this book, along with the Bible, display what God expects from us. The story of Mary and Joseph and how Joseph had to be just as strong. Ruth and Boaz, Adam and Eve. You can glean something different from the stories each time you read them. And number three, Shannon says the Bible is God's love story for us. It shows that we all deserve love and connection because that's what God desires for each and every one of us. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.